This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. The epileptologists, folks working with movement disorders, memory disorders, who could focus on those outpatient entities. And what they were able to do then is build a critical mass of neurohospitalists. They then ceased that telestroke service, began to provide it themselves to affiliated critical access hospitals, used it as a bridge to recruit an interventional neurosurgeon, transitioning from a primary to a comprehensive stroke center, and then using it again as a bridge into what is now their designation as a level one trauma center. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I am your host, Trevor Durin, and today we get to do a topic that is special to me because it's one of the areas of subject matter expertise I've got to develop on the intelligence team, and that's rural strategy. Because so many SG2 members are not small, independent rural hospitals, we have plenty of them, but we also have plenty of AMCs and big IDNs and regional systems. Rural strategy doesn't just apply to those few small, independent rural hospitals because every system we work with either gets patients from rural markets or has acquired rural hospitals and health systems in the past couple of years. So everyone I work with has a segment of rural strategy, including Josh Bilstein, who used to be a member at Billings Clinic and we're very lucky that he joined our consulting practice within the last year. I asked him to join me to talk about both his experience at Billings and experience since then on some really exciting projects that we've got to do. Josh, thank you so much for agreeing to join me for this fun topic. I'll just start with this super easy question because you're the front lines getting these questions from our members. What kind of questions are members asking us and looking for help with around rural strategy? Appreciate this opportunity. When I was on the member side, I found these kind of interactions invaluable. The opportunity to share some knowledge with our members is something that's important to me. Interestingly enough, we receive the same kinds of questions from our members that have either a partial rural focus or a larger focus in the rural spaces, but I find them to be more acute in those communities. And when I say that, when we think about things like social determinants of health, we see them amplified in rural communities in a way that we don't often perceive. One of the things that if you dig into the evidence-based literature, there's something called a geography of need. It touches on eight different demographic factors, race, veteran status, age as well as four economic factors, whether or not somebody is receiving government assistance, whether or not they have challenges with transportation. And just as a vignette from that data, when you look at rural communities, we see that about only 9% of metropolitan counties have a population that is in distress in three or more of those metrics. The larger rural communities see about 17.3% of those counties impacted by that. And the significantly rural or small rural communities are up to 31.2%. Just framing things that way. When we look at the questions that our members are asking, they're really magnified there. A great example for me is the challenges we find in a post-acute space. Our rural communities are generally a little bit older. Many of them are in a Medicare or a Medicare managed care plan, many of them with Medicaid as a payer status. We're seeing length of stay increase no matter where we are, but that ability to take care of the needs of those populations in rural communities is magnified. So if I come in with a medical episode, perhaps I've had a stroke, I've stabilized, but I need to get some post-acute placement we find that there really aren't places for those folks or there's such competition for beds that those entities can be hard to place a patient. Just by way of an example, as we talked about with my role at Billings Clinic and my familiarity with the Montana market, 
When we look at data from February of 2022 through January of this year, just in Montana, we saw 10 skilled nursing facilities close. That really just draws a line under how our members and affiliates in those areas are impacted with that post-acute crisis. Top of the line there, I see post-acute as an area of emphasis. The other thing is competition for service line. Members really want to understand what ought we be thinking about to meet the needs of this population, what things make sense for us to lean in, what things make sense for us to think about a partner, so perhaps a larger health system that might come in with a virtual care solution, some outreach solutions, and which things might we want to step away from. When I say step away, that's always a difficult conversation to have. Those communities have had access to those types of providers in many cases for a long period of time. One of the things that we try and underline when we have these conversations is that notion that really volume is essential for quality. When we have those types of consulting engagements, we really want to walk through where it makes sense for those members to lean in and where it might make sense for them to look at a partner or move out of that particular service line. Yeah, it's really good. I know we've done a ton of data work recently around that relationship. Do we have evidence that it's the same pattern in rural versus metro markets? Interestingly enough, I think when you look at something like, say, the Vizient Vulnerability Index, it confirms some of the things that we've talked about, but we also see those metropolitan markets that have also communities in distress. Behavioral health is probably an interesting lens for us to be able to talk through the question that you just raised. When we're in a metropolitan market, you reference AMCs in the preamble to our discussions. You may augment your ability to meet the needs of patients in those communities. Still competition for inpatient beds, but we're just talking about the ability for a member to have a provider see their patients and make sure that they're getting the care that they need. When you think about a rural market, it's a struggle for those members to access things like behavioral health. So they lean into some interesting and novel solutions. One of the things that I was privileged to be familiar with before leaving Montana was this novel solution that the VA for the Rocky Mountain region put together looking at transcranial work. It's a recent innovation that in some instances can take the place of ECT, but very helpful for patients experiencing significant and oftentimes intractable depression. They partnered with some clinicians trained in that work and we're able to develop a van that they can then use to meet the needs of folks in those communities. So when you think about the state of Montana and its size, you know, fourth largest state in the union, the ability to create a mobile solution to meet those needs is very important. The other thing that we often talked about is virtual care solutions. Again, something that we see in metropolitan areas, but in the case of many of these rural communities, that may be the only ability that you have to access a mental health provider. Leaning into something like Intermountain's Care Connect platform that allows direct to patient access or also accessing to a health system to support potentially somebody who would present in an emergency department in crisis to be assessed and get the care that they need. Those are some of the solutions that we think about for common problems that exist in both metropolitan and rural areas, but perhaps need a different solution in that rural setting. I want to hear more stories of solutions we've come up with, with members, for members, what you've heard from some rural markets as they're trying to chase some of these questions and they're not chasing, they're working with us collaboratively to try and come up with a solution to some of these big challenges. Tell me some good recent examples. At Billings Clinic, one of the things that the teams there leaned in on in the post-acute space was really exploring notions of centers of excellence. What that essentially means is that you may have some adjacency around critical access hospitals. And when adjacency in a, in a rural setting, you may have some entities an hour away from each other. Trying to lean into the notion of creating a center of excellence. So someone may have an orthopedic center of excellence. Others may look at cardiology so that you can appropriately send volumes. Again, that notion that volume 
equals quality to settings that have skilled professionals who are able to take care of the needs of that patient population and ensure that they are able to be safely taken care of in a post-acute space. One of the things that lands really well as I think an illustration of some of that innovation are telestroke services. So we talked a little bit about Intermountain's Care Connect platform. I was privileged enough during my time at Billings Clinic to work on a primary and then a comprehensive stroke designation. And one of the ways that we executed on that was in a partnership with the UC system using their Blue Sky Telestroke program to support our care needs. And so what did that look like? Someone was up in a small community in the highline of Montana, like Poplar. They had someone present into the ED with a suspicion of stroke. There was an immediate opportunity for them to engage with that provider from Blue Sky who could help walk that provider through the assessment of that patient and then also read the images, the CT, and either say this patient is having a stroke or it might be a different medical episode. This patient is having a stroke and is appropriate for TPA and so you should push TPA. This patient is having a stroke and it is a stroke in such a setting that they need to have a thromboletic procedure and so would help engage with the fixed wing aircraft. Now, we started some of our conversation around the notion that not all of these health systems are in purely rural settings. So Billings Clinic would fit in what's called a small urban setting, large rural population of about 160,000 people within its tertiary center. One that I was never invited to visit while you were there, I might add. That's my bad. We'll see if we can't get you out there uh, for a future engagement. But one of the things that we did was also use those telestroke services not only to ensure that patients had timely access to critical care, but also to support development of programs within that tertiary center. So what does that mean? We hired a stroke director who had a group of neurologists who weren't able to divide clinical duties with hospital duties. It would simply lead into burnout where you have a day of clinic and then pivoting into an evening of working in the hospital. Telestroke services were also leveraged in Billings Clinic's tertiary center from about 8 p.m. through 7 a.m. the next day. It allowed them to begin recruiting neurohospitalists. It also allowed them to preserve their neurologists working in the clinic, the epileptologists, folks working with movement disorders, memory disorders, who could focus on those outpatient entities. And what they were able to do then is build a critical mass of neurohospitalists. They then ceased that telestroke service, began to provide it themselves to affiliated critical access hospitals, and then used it as a bridge to recruit an interventional neurosurgeon, transitioning from a primary to a comprehensive stroke center, and then using it again as a bridge into what is now their designation as a level one trauma center. A lot of interesting and innovative things happening in those communities. We talked a little bit about those levels of innovation around virtual care. There's all kinds of different things that we see that help meet the needs of those communities. Looking at infectious disease support is something that's important. There are some abilities to access cardiologists remotely. We saw a little bit of that in a work with SCL, who's a member, and their partnership with Colorado-based oncologists who are able to help them support their oncology offerings in a rural setting. There's a lot of innovation happening in those spaces, and, and it's gratifying to be a part of that work as a consultant on those projects. That's really good. Thanks for sharing. The last one's the most aspirational. You've worked in rural settings. You get to work now on projects in both metro, suburban, rural, ag, frontier settings. How would you build the right system of care in a rural market, but you're part of a big system? You're not out there on an island, isolated by yourself. As systems right now, especially those rural ones that I've talked to, they're having more trouble than bigger IDNs and AMCs at pivoting away from the work and success they've had recently in driving down cost. I feel like our other members have been able to pick their heads up, especially this summer, and say, yeah, we're not there yet on cost, but we have a lot of initiatives going. The bloodhounds are out there finding savings wherever they can. 
we now need to get refocused on where we want to be in the future, where we're going to grow. It's probably going to be capital light, but we got to find it. The smaller rural systems that I work with have had more trouble picking their heads up and saying, okay, we still need to think more about the future and about growth. So with that in mind, if you had an opportunity to from scratch build the rural system of care, part of a bigger system, how'd you do it? It's a great question and it's a complex one. I think often of Dr. Manny Hernandez, who I have the privilege of doing some consulting work with, who, as we have these conversations with our members, really tries to frame things as the workforce that you have now is the workforce that you have. We're not sure when things will perhaps ramp up, the competition around the ability to recruit medical staff, retention of nursing and other entities. It's slightly opaque as to when we'll be able to get a, a workforce that was similar to the pre-pandemic workforce or if that will happen at all. Through that lens, we start thinking about what is the right care setting at the right cost for the right patient population. I really like that notion of hub and spoke. It's through that lens of volume and quality. What do these particular communities need? We talk a lot about looking at demographic assessments, knowing that rural counties are predominantly older. And when I say older, it's that 65 plus that we're looking at. So we start skewing some of our care offerings towards things that might occur in those spaces. We look at joint replacements. I was an interesting anecdote from a, a neurosurgeon that I used to work with who talked about his training in the UC system. And he's like, shoot, I used to do all these disc replacements and laminotomies in my training. And I came to Montana and I do so few of them, but I do a lot of these complex fusions because folks in these rural communities just don't take time off. They work so hard. It's a challenge to get to the care. It's a challenge to take time off. When we think about those care offerings, we have to meet those patients where they are and what the needs they have. We think about some of those orthopedic and neurosurgical elements. We might think a little bit about some of the geri psych elements as well. We talked about virtual care offerings for behavioral health, and then also that opportunity to think about, is there some memory care offerings that we can systematize for those folks who may have dementia, Alzheimer's, things like that. When we look at oncology, there are things that we can absolutely and should absolutely be doing in those patients' native communities. There's certainly infusion capabilities that are, when appropriately monitored, we can have a patient assessed in a tertiary or quaternary center and have them receive care in that specific community. But there'll also be things that need to occur in that tertiary or quaternary center. Our ability to plan, so the care management and some of the most just interesting and creative folks that you'll ever have the privilege to work with work in care management, thinking about the complexity of coordinating transportation and things like that. If I was designing this idealized future state, I would really think about how we can easily facilitate access into those significant episodes of care and then which kind of things I might put in those communities that are appropriate to take care of there. Pediatrics is something that we also think about, again, knowing that there's competition for those particular particular specialists, as well as the Alliance subspecialty groups. Billings Clinic developed an interesting partnership with the pediatric group from the Colorado Children's in looking at how they might augment their care offerings by appropriately bringing up specialist providers from that particular group, and then looking at trying to create discrete clinic days where patients from those surrounding rural communities might be able to come in and receive care that way. The thing also is replicated when we think about PM&R, again, for folks with disabilities like muscular dystrophy from a pediatric perspective, but also folks who are post-stroke requiring ongoing rehab. There are ways that you can create protocols and virtual care offerings for those patients to access care in their communities, while also ensuring that they have timely access to providers in that tertiary and quaternary center. We can replicate this through a number of service lines, but I think that gives members the gestalt around how we might think of a hub and spoke model to preserve appropriate care in their communities, while also ensuring that that higher level of care occurs in the most appropriate setting as well. 
That's really good. I like a lot of the pieces you mentioned there. And unless we annex part of Canada, I don't think we'll have the opportunity to build the new rural system we want from scratch. But it's always a pleasure talking with you. And it's always a pleasure working with you, Josh. So thanks so much for sharing your stories and perspective with our listeners. Thank you, Trevor. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us, and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.